0: You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky, a congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ Tradition. We are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice. But from time to time, you'll find guest preachers on this podcast, too. Thanks for listening. As best I can remember, because I was just a wee little thing, the traveling evangelist was on a roll. He'd come down from behind the big pulpit that was on the stage in my Baptist church, and he'd come down the side steps, and he was standing next to the communion table, and he was waving his black leather bound Bible at us. And his voice boomed through the sanctuary as he decried the sins of the people. I have no memory of what those sins might have been but I can still see him with his Bible raised high in his right hand and then suddenly slamming it down on the communion table for effect. And the whole congregation gasped. I mean, this was a revival, so the place was packed. And they all gasped as they heard the sound of glass breaking. And realized that he had shattered the glass sheet that protected the communion table. I think of that traveling evangelist as I read these words from Isaiah. Because the prophet is on a roll too. He imagines God telling him to shout at the top of his lungs. To preach full-throatedly like the sounding of a ram's horn. Don't hold back, God tells him, like a coach to a quarterback. In other words, this prophet did not have a congregation of his own. He wasn't worried about anything that might happen after he preached. Because he lets it fly, doesn't he? He has no concern over packing the pews next week. He's not interested in how many small group Bible studies they have going. He's not impressed by the labyrinth that's next to the sanctuary or how many folks are praying their epiphany star words each week. Because their spiritual practices, their piety, their worship, their fasting, none of it makes one bit of difference. And in fact, the prophet goes on to ridicule their fasting, pointing a finger at them with disdain. And he shrugs at them and says, your religious life is flawless, except for one tiny thing. One thing you've managed to overlook. Your worship and your religious practices are perfectly executed down to the last detail. But in the end, it was all about them. Their times of worship was for their needs, their wants, their desires, and it had no effect on their community. Didn't make a bit of difference and how they treated one another, how they acted with their neighbors, their workers, the less fortunate. They would participate in fasting at the same time as they were oppressing their workers, and they were getting into quarrels and fistfights. And the prophet will have none of it. The fast that God welcomes, his voice booms out to them in warning, is not a fast that's designed to please the self or to impress others. But it's a fast to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. It's a fast to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover them, and to not hide yourself from your own kin. Wait a minute. That's not fasting at all. You can almost hear the people protesting. What do all of those things have to do with fasting? And the prophet counters that a fast that's focused on individual spiritual or religious practices that does not change a person is an empty fast. It's a spiritually deficient exercise. It's only when the people's religious practices and their day-to-day lives are integrated that God will find their worship acceptable. And it's at that point, the prophet says, that their light will shine like the dawn, that healing will come to them, and God will be in their midst. Emmanuel, God with us. What an image! Your light shall shine like the dawn. We know how amazing the skyline is when the sun slowly pushes up from the horizon. You know, when those fiery reds and the yellows and the oranges, they streak through and they push back that pre-dawn darkness with all of its black and blue hues. The heaviness of the darkness is pushed away by a bright sun that cannot be stopped until the day greets us once more. When my son was in junior high, he was in jazz band, which started at 6.45 in the morning. (sighs) And he wasn't driving. (laughs) And in the winter in the northwest, oh, that is so difficult. But we would get on the road and we would turn to go southeast. And suddenly, Mount Rainier with the sun just barely poking up on the horizon, just lit up the sky. And both of us were awake, just like that. The prophet says, you'll be just like that brilliant sunrise when you are living lives that reflect God's dream for God's people and for all the world. And the images of restoration he offers to them speak of the transformative power of true community. When they are caring for those in need, when they are looking after the afflicted, when their words are no longer said with malice or evil intent, then they will be living in a way in which God is now their guide. When they're caring for one another, they will find that they are being cared for too. They will find they're no longer living in a parched land, but are now in the midst of a well-watered garden, a place of beauty, of beauty and peace tended to with God's wisdom and care. And in case it hasn't sunk in for them, he tries one more time. He says, when your worship and your daily living are truly woven together, the brokenness of your past will be restored, the prophet says, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorers of streets to live in. Last month, the King Center recognized the longtime community activist Shane Claiborne with the beloved Community Social Justice Award. Claiborne is co-director of the Red Letter Christians and a founder of The Simple Way, which is an organization that began more than 25 years ago as a household community of faith in the middle of the Kensington neighborhood in North Philadelphia. It was part of what is known as the new monastic movement. And the members of The Simple Way there intentionally chose to live simply together to build community in that neighborhood where they lived sharing resources transforming their neighborhood with murals with community gardens and landscaping which reflected their care for their community the simple way has grown from those first few idealistic folks just out of school pulling their money together to live in community and now they have resource centers for food. They provide scholarships for children, their support services and neighborhood festivals and so much more. And for years, the Simple Way folks have also been advocates for peacemaking in a community marked by gun violence. And that project is now known as Raw Tools, RAW Tools. They take literally the prophet's vision of making swords into plowshares. And they physically transform weapons from handguns to automatic rifles into tools and artwork. It is an act of public witness and defiance of our unhealthy gun culture, which celebrates weapons of war. Claiborne tells a story of one experience over 10 years ago when they had taken a gun from the streets of the neighborhood and one of the, mo- and the mothers there who had lost children to gun violence took turns beating on the barrel of the gun. He remembers that one grieving mother with tears running down her face hit the red hot metal and between each hit slowly said, this is for my son. When people of faith move from singing about peace on earth and start the one-on-one hard work of peace building, then the breaches in our own walls will be repaired and we will find ourselves known as restorers of the streets that we live on. Perhaps it's this passage from Isaiah that Jesus has in mind as he offers up these teachings we heard from Matthew as part of what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we heard the beginning bits. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. And the Beatitudes end with an ominous blessing that we don't often read. <clears throat> blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's this blessing for the tough times. For the moments when darkness threatened to blot out any hope that Jesus offers those familiar metaphors of salt and light. How much more important light becomes when darkness seems most oppressive. Jesus says to his followers, You are the light of the world. Now in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But here in Matthew, the light is in the community of believers. In you and in I. We are the light. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, be the light. He says, you are the light. So don't hide it. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't keep it hidden away on a Sunday morning behind brick walls and stained glass. Put your light out where it can pierce the darkness. Why? Jesus says, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The powerful thing about light is not light in itself, but in its ability to illuminate the world around it. Light brings into vision what is already around us. When we are being light, not for ourselves, but for the world, God's dream for the world, the realm of shalom of the blessed community, becomes a little more clear around us. Eugene Peterson in The Message puts it this way, you're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're gonna go public with this, as public as a city on a hill. Inside your bulletin are two pictures from a public art installation in Amsterdam. I invite you to look at those. Every winter, the city sponsors a light festival. With artists from around the world creating public art on the streets and windows projected onto buildings in the water. And in the darkest time of the year, people flock to Amsterdam for the light festival. And in 2013, a thousand city residents contributed bedside lamps put together by the New Heroes Foundation into that giant installation which spells out we light Amsterdam. So in that top image, you can see the hodgepodge of lamps donated. They're big and small. There's a lava lamp. There's glowing night lights. Some are, (coughs) excuse me. Some are candle-shaped. Some are tall and skinny. Others are short, round. Some are glowing red. Others are orange. Others bright white. None of them are particularly remarkable on their own. None of them are powerful enough on their own to dispel the winter's darkness. But together, together they form a message none could illuminate on their own. We light Amsterdam. Jesus walking in the footsteps of the prophet Isaiah calls on us together to be the light on the hill breaking through the darkness just as the dawn promises a new day not in our worship alone but in a, excuse me but in a true fast in a true fast that changes things starting with us each small light does its part illuminating our day-to-day living in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces Loving not only our friends, but our neighbors, and learning to pray for our enemies. When we do that, Jesus says, we will catch a glimpse of what a God-saturated world might be like. And that is the fast that changes things. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.